thought the ensemble this morning did an outstanding, extraordinary job. And thank you so much for that. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look this evening. Um, let's just read verse 13 and 14 to kick us off. We'll go back and read the previous verses um, as we get into it. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. You ought to underline that saying. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Father, bless your word tonight. Help me, Father, to preach in your name. May we bring glory to you. And Father, may we point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray tonight as we look at this subject of our motivation, our motivation to minister, our motivation to serve. Lord, I pray that you'll put the right motives in our heart. And God, may we be faithful in all that you've called us to. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Can I get an amen? Let me just do it one more time. Can I get an amen? amen? I just want to preach to a live crowd tonight, all right? And so if you'll help me, we'll get through this message. Our motivation for ministry. A few years ago, I was reading uh, one of CLA's legal alerts, and there was a mention of a USA Today poll of 1,218 to 29-year-olds. 65% rarely or never attend worship services. 67% don't read the Bible. And only 50% say that Jesus is the only path to heaven. What's really alarming is that those who, in my estimation, those who should know better, that of that 50% who do believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, 68% of that number did not mention faith, religion, or spirituality when asked what was really important in life. 36% of those who say Jesus is the only path to heaven, 36% rarely or never read the Bible. Only 40% believe it is their responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. And then half do not attend church at least weekly. At least once a week, half do not attend. And 70% of the ones who attended at least once weekly in high school drop out by the age of 23. In summary, only 15% appeared to be deeply committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you spread them throughout the Baptist churches on every corner, 
you have the recipe in a lot of ministries of discouragement. I'm thankful for Brad and Beth Hill and the ministry that they are doing with our young adults. Amen. In our most troubling moments, I think we should remind ourselves of Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. And Paul told that young preacher, he says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Paul says, He counted me faithful. In other words, God saw something. He he realizes that God saw something in him that perhaps he never saw in himself. And I want to relate that to our church tonight, that God sees something in all of us that no one, including ourselves, sees. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites when the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. And he says, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon didn't see that himself. Perhaps nobody else in his family did either. But the Lord saw something in him. David was the last of the family to be called from the pasture when God was looking to anoint him as king. At the age of 80, Moses was working for his father-in-law when the bush began to burn. Amos was a self-described herdman and gatherer of sycamore fruit when the Lord took him as he followed his flock and put him in ministry. The apostle Paul was the terror of the local church when God saved him and began to use him. I'm thankful that the Lord sees value in just one. Amen? And I'm thankful that he sees value in each of us. This is the same Apostle Paul who was publicly opposed at every step. The same man who was nearly stoned to death. The same man who spent more time in prison than we than I ever cared to. The same man who had been whipped many times and had many stripes left on his back. Same one that got beat up with rods three times. Was involved in three separate shipwrecks. His body was tired. He knew what it was like to wake up with aches and pains. He was often hungry, thirsty, and cold. He carried a heavy burden for all the churches. And this same guy is telling the young preacher, I think Jesus Christ our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. In other words, serving the Lord to Paul was not difficult. We look at his resume and we compare to ours And so many times Christians today are easily discouraged. So many times we're licking our wounds. 
and we're looking for something that would motivate us, something that would encourage us. And if everything would just be better, we'd be motivated to serve, that we'd be more faithful if everything was just better. And all of that that Paul had gone through, he's telling a young Christian, I am so thankful God put me in this. I'm thankful for every scar. I'm thankful for every stripe. I'm thankful that I get to serve the Lord. It's the same man who as a prisoner writes the the epistle of joy to the saints of Philippi, this, this epistle in the book of Philippians. The same one who says in Philippians 1 in verse 21, for me to for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I dare say tonight that the Apostle Paul had something within that many 21st century believers are missing. And that is, number one, he had a clear vision of what God wanted to do in his life. He wanted his life to bring glory for the Lord. And you don't have to be a preacher or a missionary or a church planner for your life to bring glory to the Lord. But it's important that we have a clear vision of what God wants to do in our life to affect others. Secondly, his spiritual strength didn't come from public responses such as how many attended the service. His spiritual strength didn't come from who liked his sermon and put it on Facebook and said, boy, church was good today. His spiritual strength did not come from those who came to the altar. His spiritual strength was found in his personal devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, he was properly motivated. Though it's encouraging, his ministry was not motivated by how many souls were won or how many churches were built. Those were simply fruits of ministry. And though it's honoring, his ministry was not motivated by opportunities to preach. He simply saw that as a part of his service. And though blessed with co-laborers, his ministry was not motivated by the brethren. For in the end, he writes in 2 Timothy, they all forsook him. Instead, his motivation is found in a short autobiographical section in Philippians chapter 3, in these verses that we're reading tonight. And here we'll find the attributes that resulted in the power of Paul's life. We see the means of his ministry. We see the method of being used in the ministry. And we see the mindset that he has towards the opportunity to minister and serve the Lord. So first of all tonight, we see that he was motivated by his means of jubilation. What motivated this man? What what should motivate us as Christians? Again, not as super spiritual Apostle Paul, but just as believers. What gets us up in the morning? Every Sunday I am conscious that people are making a decision of whether or not to attend church. 
And some people will look outside and say, it's rainy today. I'll just decide I'm going to do it live stream. Or some people will look outside and say, it's awful beautiful today. I think we'll go do something else. And I know I'm preaching to a Sunday night crowd, and sometimes we, we are just, do I feel like it? Do I really want to go? With all of these things, what there has to be a motivation inside of us that is more than just how we feel. And it's more than just what people think or what people might say. There has to be something within us that pushes us forward when everything else is fighting back. And it has to be more than just your wife dragging you to church. I expected a few amens from the women there. I want you to look in verses 1 through 3 and read with me. Finally, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you to me is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I'm here to say tonight that Paul was not your average independent Baptist who lived in doom and gloom. Amen to that. Phillips Brooks said, the religion that makes a man look sick certainly won't change the world. Amen? And many times we go through life and we look defeated and we look discouraged and we look depressed and we look beat down because there's no joy in the Lord. Paul had real joy. And his source of joy was not found in his accomplishments. But he tells us in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And again, he is writing from a jail cell. He's writing an imprisonment, and he's saying, Brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he says again in verse 3, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. It's not, it's not accomplishments that motivates us, and it's not those things that really bring us joy. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, because that is where the focus is. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. If not for Christ, there'd be no ministry, amen? If not for Jesus Christ, there'd be no cross. Without the cross, there'd be no grace. And without grace, we'd all be losers headed for a devil's hell. But because of Jesus Christ, we have victory tonight. Christ has given us the victory over death, hell, and the grave. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He, he goes on in verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The grave cannot hold me, amen? Death cannot stop me. When I close my eyes on this life here, I'll open them up in the one to come. The old independent Baptist preacher, Dr. Harold Seitler, once said, the last day of my life will be my greatest day because that is the day that I will finally see Jesus. Christ has given us victory beyond what this world has to offer. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, John writes. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth Jesus is 
the Son of God. How many churches have a depleted worship service because of what took place with our team on Saturday? Since I've been in church at the age of 19, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. You walk in the doors and that's what people are talking about. I am a huge Alabama fan and I love Alabama football. But Brian, when they lose, I'm over it in about two minutes. Because I have nothing invested in it, I'm just a fan. Are you with me? I'm over it. I love it and I'm excited And when 2nd and 26 happened, man, my kids saw me about pass out when we beat Georgia a few years ago. I love it. But if it don't go all the way that we expect it to go, it don't change my Christian life. People can lie about us. Governments can pass laws against us. Friends and family can turn against us. But no one can take away our victory. Avis Christensen wrote, he says, I prayed for help. I prayed for strength. I prayed for victory. I prayed for patience and for love, for true humility. But as I prayed my dying Christ, by faith I seemed to see and as I gazed, my glad heart cried, All things are mine through thee. If he doth well within my heart, why need I strength implore? The giver of all grace is mine, and shall I ask for more? And need I pray for victory when he who conquered death dwells in my very inmost soul, nearer indeed than breath? Oh, help, Lord, to realize that thou art all in all, that I am more than conqueror in great things and in small. No need have I, but thou hast met upon the cruel tree. O precious, dying, risen Lord, thou art my victory. I'm here to say tonight that we've got a reason to rejoice. Our sins are forgiven. We've been blood washed. We've been given eternal life. We've been given a new earthly life. We are children of God. We are saints in Christ Jesus. We have direct access to the throne that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We find comfort in his indwelling spirit. We have a mansion being prepared in heaven. We have a more sure word of prophecy in the King James Bible that we might know how to live. We have the special promises that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. That nothing can separate us from God's love. That we are preserved in Christ Jesus, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That when we are absent from the body, we are present from the Lord. That he is coming back one day to receive us to himself in the clouds. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. We have a ministry. We have an opportunity to serve. Not because we are somebody or we knew somebody. But simply because 
He knows us. Amen. Verses 4 through 6, Paul reflects upon his qualifications to have confidence in the flesh. Read with me. He says in verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised in the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was confident in his religious heritage. He was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was zealous in persecuting the church. And he was self-righteous in the law. For you and I, that may mean that we're a good-hearted person. It may mean that we've accomplished many things in the past. It may mean that we're an honest worker who provides for our family. Or it may mean that we're a charitable individual who is always willing to give to a worthy cause. And those are all good things. But what happens on days when we don't feel like being so good-hearted, amen? What happens on days when it's been a long time since we've really accomplished something worthwhile? What happens when the money begins to run low and now we're just wondering how to feed our own family? What happens when the local fire department comes knocking at our door and although we know it's a good cause, you feel like a low-down, dirty dog because you just simply can't help? Our rejoicing should not be in things, it should not be in ourselves, it should always be in the Lord. And the power of rejoicing increases according to the power of transformation in our very own lives. Verse number 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ." Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Don't forget that phrase, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul was motivated by his transformation. In July of 2009, I I received a phone call and I think I may have shared a portion of this testimony before. I received a phone call early one morning to go to the hospital and visit a young man that I'd never met. He was in intensive care there in Huntsville. He had been in a car accident and he was ejected from the car and only by God's grace he was still alive. He had a history of drug problems and at the time he was under the influence of alcohol. He had been down at Buffalo Wild Wings and had a few, uh, just poured back a few and he decided to go home because he was mad. He got a text and he was mad about something and he was traveling at a high rate of speed and lost control. When I got to the hospital, I saw the faces of a mother and father I'd, I'd never met. This is the first time I'd been introduced to them. And they didn't attend church. 
but they were looking to a preacher to help them get their son back. And I visited that boy every day in the hospital, and when he got out, I, I went to his home, and I visited him twice a week, and I sat with him while he was healed. I read him the Bible. I, I told him how God loved him and desired more from his life than what he was giving. And I seen that hard-nosed, tough kid begin to break, and I saw Jesus Christ begin to do a work in his life as only Jesus can do. He began to attend church. He got his life right with the Lord. He started paying off all of his debts. He went back to school, and he finished up his college degree. He got his life in order. And his mother came to me one day, and she said this. She said, Ricky... She says, we've tried rehab, we've tried AA, we've tried various support groups. She says, I don't know what you're doing, but it is the only thing that has worked. And I told her, the credit only goes to the Lord. Because it's Jesus Christ who makes all of the difference. Amen? The Apostle Paul was where he was because of what Jesus Christ was doing in his life. And his life was being transformed. In verse 7, Jesus began to transform his outlook. He says, what things were gained to me, what past accomplishments, what trophies, what pats on the back, and all praise and glorification, those I counted loss for Jesus Christ. And I believe trophies are a good thing. And I believe recognition is a good thing. Amen? I believe all those things are a good thing. But they should never, we should never glory in those things and do very little for the Lord Jesus Christ. His outlook had changed. It was no longer about him and his own accomplishments and what he was able to do. Because consecration begins where when self-interest ceases. He transformed his outlook. When Paul was in very difficult circumstances in the book of Acts, he didn't stand up and tell the people of his opinions or his accomplishments. He simply stood up and he told them the difference that Jesus had made in his life. Not only does Jesus transform your outlook, but he also transforms your inlook. Amen? In verse 8, he changes your want to. Because now what mattered to him was the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. J. Wilbur Chapman, the famous pastor and evangelist and songwriter, he said, the rule that governs my life is this, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. Changes his want to. And then in verse 9, you'll see it changes his where to. Because what was important to him is that he is found in Christ. That he might be found in him doing exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. And that those who are around him would find one whose very life represented well the new company he now kept. He changes your want to and your where to and he changes your know who. Because he says in verse 10 that I may know him. He wanted to develop an intimate, close, personal relationship with Jesus to know him personally and powerfully and painfully if that, if that was the case. And then lastly tonight, he was motivated with his mind of determination. 
verse 13 and 14 is where we begin tonight. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. It's an admission that even the words, that even the then that towards the end of his ministry he hadn't arrived yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting all the accomplishments and all of the discouragements and all those things, he says, I'm reaching forth to those things which are before. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm going forward. What happened in the past is in the past. My failures, my accomplishments, the sins that I've committed, the victories won, they're all in the past. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm going to keep fighting the good fight. I'm going to finish my course with joy. I'm going to keep the faith. The desire to press on has always been the ingredient that leads to the success of individuals. It's what turns average athletes into superstars. It's a group of individuals who turn into a championship team. It's what, it's what gave David the courage to slay Goliath when he could have just rested on his past anointing. It's what caused Moses to overlook the difficulties of his past and lead a nation out of bondage. It's what Joshua had when he led Israel in the promised land. It's what Caleb had when everyone else said they were grasshoppers. It's what Noah, pressed, it's what Noah had when he pressed on when everyone thought he was foolish. In the midst of a falling nation, it's what caused a discouraged Jeremiah to say, that his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, brethren. Keep letting him transform you. And do this one thing. Forget yesterday. Roll up your sleeves. And keep marching until he calls us home. Amen. Our motivation cannot be in how we feel. Our motivation cannot be in how many people show up. Our motivation cannot be in did they get saved or not. Our motivation cannot be on who is with me. Our motivation has to lie in the fact that God sent his son to die for me and wanted to change me. And I want to give all of my life to the Lord. And I want to be faithful and serve and serve and be faithful. Amen? In other words, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Yeah, look around and see other people around you. But if you want to stay encouraged... When David was up against it, the Bible says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. When all of his friends turned against him, he kept his eyes on the Lord. How can Paul go through all those stonings and beatings and whippings and all of the reasons why most of us would have quit long ago? 
he kept his eyes on Jesus Christ. And he says, I can't believe I get to do this every day. Amen? I can't believe I get to serve the Lord today. I can't believe it. I get to tell somebody about Jesus Christ because I'm on the victory side rather than the losing side. Amen? I've got a reason to smile. I'm not in jail today. And if Paul says in, while he's in prison, if he can say rejoice, I believe I can rejoice because of the blessings of freedom. I believe I can rejoice on the goodness of the Lord, right? I believe, I, can, I believe that I can see blessing after blessing after blessing and my life gets frustrating and discouraging just like everybody else. And sometimes a car breaks down and things tear up and those things happen to all of us. And it's not because, and I've heard it many times, I don't know why, I don't know what I've done. I don't know why God is being so difficult with me right now. It happens to everybody. It just happens. It's life. But if I'm always up and down because of circumstances or people or what's happening, and my focus is not on Jesus Christ and his goodness for me, I have got the wrong motivation, and therefore I'm going to be prone to wonder. I love the old song, and you'll have to forgive me. But I was thinking about this as I was preparing tonight. Sound the battle cry, the hymnist writes. Sound the battle cry, see the foe is nigh. Raise the standard high for the Lord. Gird your armor on, stand firm everyone. Rest your cause upon his holy word. Rouse then soldiers, rally round the banner, ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna, Christ is captain of the mighty throne. I'm out of breath. Ah, forget that, forget that. Y'all are all deaf if you want to clap to that. Listen, God is sure good to us. Amen? And the words of Philip Brooks, if we walk around like most believers do and most religions do and people see our face, our faith isn't going to change anybody. Right? Our belief. Man, I'm going to tell you something. We ought to be the most excited people in the world to serve the Lord every day. Amen? We ought to be the most excited people in the world, Tide to be able to open up the Bible and read the Bible because there have been men who have been burned to death so that you could have your very own copy. We ought to be excited. We ought to be motivated. We ought to be motivated to come to church. It ought to have nothing to do with the weather. If it's too cold or too hot or if it's raining, it's dry. I'm going to tell you something. If you get wet, you'll, you'll dry up. Amen? It can't be too hot. It can't be too, too cold. I mean, all of these excuses that we make, so-and-so looked at me a little weird. Maybe they shouldn't do that, and that's a different match just for a different time. But that shouldn't be your motivation to serve the Lord. Right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's bow our heads tonight.
I'm just going to give